So that billion dollar commitment we put out across the enterprise, the dollar is just a number to hit. But what Mm -hmm. is important are the hearts and minds of the enterprise to make sure that that commitment becomes sustainable. But can you imagine the lives that are transformed by way of that journey to the billion, right? The opportunities that you're creating, the jobs that you're creating, the innovation you're bringing in to the enterprise by way of leveraging diverse suppliers. So that billion dollar commitment is enabling us to be a better organization, better enterprise, thinking with an inclusive mindset around our diverse suppliers. So just like we believe in the diversity of our workforce, we need to be uh, believe in the diversity of our suppliers. Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insight into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in. This episode is brought to you by Higher Ground. Higher Ground is a technology company whose mission is to bridge the wealth gap through access to procurement opportunities. Higher Ground is making the enterprise ecosystem more viable, profitable, and competitive by clearing the path for minority-led, women-led, LGBT-led, and veteran-led small businesses to contribute to the global economy as suppliers to enterprise organizations. For more information on getting started, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E. G-R-O-U-N-D dot I-O. Now on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. I'm Adam Moore here in studio with my co-hosts, Chloe Goodry-Reed and Matt Colicello. And in today's episode, we're joined by Devin Carsdale and Rondu Vincent from Bristol-Myers Squibb. Devin is the Associate Director of Sustainability, and Rondu is the Executive Director of Supplier Diversity and Sustainability. BMS is one of the world's largest pharmaceutical companies and is leading the way among its peers in the industry in both supplier diversity and environmental sustainability. Devin and Rondu are here to discuss with us today the intersection of these two fields, an intersection we know many of our listeners and companies around the world are working to get a handle on. Gentlemen, it is so good to have you on here today. I would just like to say I've seen Rondu and Devin live at the Diversity Alliance for Science conventions and shows and A podcast is just not going to do either one of these gentlemen justice with the energy they bring, but we're going to try to duplicate it the best we can. Wonderful. Well, wonderful. Devin, Rondu, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Thank you. And Adam, you got us coming in hot. So you said, (laughs) (laughs) dude, that's my job. I'm your setup guy, right? I'm just here to set you up. You just got to knock it down, brother. We will take it. We'll take it. We're excited to be here and appreciate you uh, and, and glad you thought enough of us to invite us here to this platform and looking forward to the discussion today. Excellent. So I'm going to just kick us off with just tell us a little bit about both of you and your journeys. Devin, we'll we'll start with you. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Chloe. And thanks, Adam, for the introduction and, and certainly appreciate the uh, the opportunity to come and speak a little bit about the work that we're up to at BMS. So a little bit about myself prior to joining BMS two and a half years ago, I uh, actually started my my career focusing on international relations with a focus on uh, sustainability, you know, from an environmental lens. And I did some consulting work, working with uh, you know large executive teams and organizations to do sort of change management work and 
brought my sustainability lens where, wherever I could. And then I jumped directly into the sustainability field by working at IKEA, where I got to work in their supply chain. Yeah, throughout the Americas, specifically looking at how we could both drive environmental and social requirements from a, a, both a legislative perspective, but but also a code of conduct perspective from from IKEA, which which had quite a, a rigorous code of conduct. But then also driving development projects, ways that they could be more energy efficient or sustainable. So I did that for, for four years and then now working you know, at BMS with Rondu, developing our sustainable procurement program at BMS. That's great. Sounds like y'all were ahead of the curve there because, yeah, I mean, to be able to do that when companies are just now trying to get their footing and figure out what sustainability means to their organization. It seems like you you guys had a running start here. Yeah, I was about to say, and, and Devin, do you think that's also because IKEA is a European-based firm and we kind of saw these initiatives come out of the European Union? Do you think that was some of the genesis behind that with IKEA being a leader? I, I know when you, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I do. I mean, I think that in Europe, the frameworks around sustainability, the public pressure around it, the consumer demand for it is certainly you know, five, 10 years, probably ahead of where it is culturally in the U.S. I think some of the big corporates are now in the U.S., you know, catching up, you know, BMS being one of them. But I think when you looked at, you know, the the earlier part of this century, right, we're already in the third decade, pretty, pretty amazing. But when you look at the earlier part of the, the 21st century, you certainly had the big European companies really fleshing the subject out building it deep into their supply chains. And I'll just say, you know, some of the most amazing work I got to do was going as far back to the farm in the forest at Ikea. I went to a salmon farm to actually see the salmon that was used at the Ikea restaurants and making sure that workers were taken care of, that, you know, the way that they were, you know, growing the salmon, you know, was sustainable. So, I mean, they go all the way back, you know, which was just a great example to learn from. Wow. Well, Rondu, I'm going to kick it over to you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey? Absolutely. You know, I'm going to just describe myself as a recovering procurement executive and started working in the healthcare industry, maybe I'm going to say about 20 years ago, and really started managing indirect categories. And I I gravitated toward supplier diversity because it was an opportunity to marry what I was doing on the procurement side with economic development for underrepresented communities. And by way of that, of course, you know all the good that comes from dollars and cents, right? You know, yes. education, you know, social determinants of health, economics being one of those. So right. it was able to kind of bridge that gap. And then eventually got into the supplier diversity full time and, and quite frankly been able to do some unique things because when you work with great leadership and great organizations, they give you the keys to the kingdom to go and be great, right? And and um, the better we do our job, the, the more communities that are lived in, the more individuals that have jobs and, and the more we can tackle some of those systemic ills in our society. And then on the sustainability side, it kind of fell in my lap. It was another opportunity to do great, right? From the environmental side, the ESG totality of the framework brought Devin on and, and uh, we've been joining the hip for the last two and a half years, really trying to create change and marrying what we do on the supply diversity side with, with that part of my team and the, uh, the the sustainability side. And it's been working out very, very well. We're excited to be really brokering um, this new territory um, mm. and systemic change. You know, that is awesome, Rondu. You know, and, and I think you and I have a similar background. I started as strategic sourcing myself before I moved over into supplier diversity for the same reasons, because you actually saw that 
your negotiation skills were starting to now make impacts in communities, right? We, we talk about economic impact all the time on this show, and, and I'm so glad you kind of hit on that. But I would like to just kind of ask you from your standpoint where, you know, where you're sitting in the organization, you're talking to other supplier diversity and managers, and I've, I've made this point on the show, and I just kind of wonder what your opinion is. And I kind of find that supplier diversity managers who do well in this position have had a sourcing background at some point in their careers, yeah. right? They know a contract, they know the pains, they know the negotiations. And I just feel that they have a little bit more insight into the minutia of what it is to try to be a supplier. I am going to say, because I am one of those procurement folks transition, you are on. And what I find it is that because you understand the, the inner workings of strategic right. sourcing and you understand that it's no longer three bids and a buy, that it's long-term yep. partnership with yeah. the business, you're upstream in the process, and you can see a lot of that add value. And I do find it this, when you're able to marry that procurement side and that knowledge of the, the categories yep. uh, and partner with your, your, your uh, strategic sourcing colleagues, they, rec- yep. they got respect to you a little bit more, right? Because you've been there, done that, you know their challenges, and you can help them solution through those challenges, right? And I think that's where the credibility has come in for me. And I remember early on when I came to BMS and I was sitting down with a team and we're talking about, you know, the, the, the sourcing process, the QSCIR and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. It really resonated with them. And they said, well, this guy is not just a, a supply diversity person coming in to, 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 to right. what's going on. He's coming in here, rolling up his sleeves, working on sourcing projects along with me to, yep. to reap the desired outcomes. And that was economic inclusion, right? So uh, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Now, let me be clear. I have some folks on my team that that have not had <laughs> right. background that are that are rocking and rolling because the fundamentals yep. of when you get into these roles, the fundamentals for me, it's around being very authentic yeah. and being intentional. Oh, I love that. Because if love you that. don't have either of those, you are going to be a check the box individual. You are going to to care to the point where the door gets slammed in your face 10 times yeah. on that 11th, yep. you're going to give up. So that's right. why you have to be really authentic to who you are. What yep. are you really trying to solve for? Are you really about the mission of inclusion? And if you can answer that and then be authentic and intentional with that, uh, I think you have a, a good recipe to, to fight this fight that we're in. See, this is why I love listening to Rondu talk on this subject, because that's so true. And suppliers will talk about supplier diversity managers, right? And that is something that comes up is like, yeah, that one's just a check the box, like you said, right? Or nope, that one really will roll up their sleeves and and start to work with you. And, you know, you don't understand what the backroom conversations are like, right? So having come from corporate, now working for an MBE myself, I'm like, wow, so this is what's discussed on the other side of the aisle. (laughs) Interesting. So, yeah, that, that great points. Great points. Yeah, definitely have to have the passion for the work. And it shows to Rondi's point. I mean, that's that's ingrained in a person, too. Right. That's a soft skill that you have to look for as a manager. Yeah. Yes. Well, we know and obviously, and Adam has also said as well, BMS has very well established practices for both supplier diversity and sustainability. What are some of the notable goals that you guys have for environmental sustainability and for your supplier diversity program in general as a whole? Yeah, so I mean, I could kick us off from a, you know, a sustainability perspective. So a couple of years ago, BMS committed to a number of, of sort of longer term goals 
being 100% renewable in terms of sourcing our 100% of our electricity from renewable sources by 2030, being having net neutral greenhouse gases in scope one and two by, by 2040, being zero waste to landfill by 2040, having 100% of electric vehicles by 2040. So there's a number of goals that, that BMS has set. And, and of course, when you're trying to move the, the Titanic uh, after you set those goals, there's going to be a, a lot of ways of working that have to start getting developed. And so certainly from our perspective in the supply chain, we know, right, and this is not unlike many other large corporations, that the vast majority of emissions, right, are sitting in our supply chain. Now, BMS has not formally uh, or externally set a, a supply chain emissions target, but fundamentally we know that the big work lies in front of our team is to, to educate and to ultimately move our supply chain up the ladder of baselining and benchmarking their emissions, starting to understand what actions they can take and setting targets against those, right, and getting to work. And how can we be a facilitator of that? And so that's really where our big focus has been, has, first of all, obviously understanding who among our suppliers drive those emissions, uh, who among them already have targets, and who do we really have to dig in to start to create that change? So, and, and that's not different for, for waste as well, too, right? Where do we see, obviously, you know, we source millions of, of products into our enterprise to drive, right, our, our, our operations and deliver medicines to patients? Well, how can we think about those products that come into our enterprise and, and still deliver the same quality, if not better, but doing so in a way that doesn't drive needless waste, right? So it's, it's thinking differently and thinking smarter um, and activating our suppliers to be partners along that journey. Back in 2020, we put out a, uh, a commitment or, or five commitments around inclusion and diversity and health equity and supplier diversity was among those five enterprise globally uh, for BMS. We put out a goal, a commitment to spend a billion dollars with Black, African-American and other diverse businesses by 2025. And we are well into that journey and we are going to hit that goal ahead of schedule in addition to that. So that billion dollar commitment we put out across the enterprise, the dollar is just a number to hit. But what mm -hmm. is important are the hearts and minds of the enterprise to make sure that that commitment becomes sustainable. But can you imagine the lives that are transformed by way of that journey to the billion, right? The opportunities that you're creating, the jobs that you're creating, the innovation you're bringing in to the enterprise by way of leveraging diverse suppliers. So that billion dollar commitment is enabling us to be a better organization, better in enterprise, thinking with an inclusion, inclusive mindset around our diverse suppliers. So just like we believe in the diversity of our workforce, we need to be uh, believe in the diversity of our suppliers um, because those different perspectives bring greatness, right? And I think that is where we are. Our mindset is shifting from not just achieving the goal, because again, I said, we're going to do that, but how do you sustain it? With that becomes two things for us. One, how do we change the hearts and minds of, of the enterprise so that this is no longer a check the box exercise, it's no longer a point in time, but it's the way we operate uh, and move forward. Of course, with leadership support, because the, the commitment was blessed by our CEO and, and, and went through the enterprise, if you don't have leadership support, and we were talking about this earlier, Adam, that what makes a great supply diversity professional good from, from just kind of okay checking the box is really strong leadership support. And I think we have that. Yeah. It allows us to really, really amplify our messaging, uh, mobilize and rally the enterprise 
And of course, have diverse suppliers be the benefit factor of that. Yeah, that's a fantastic answer, right? The the management support. I just was consulting with the person who was going through their interviewing for a supplier diversity position. And they said, what are kind of the three questions I should ask inside, you know, the the interview myself? And I was like, the very first one you want to ask is, do you have CEO and CPO buy-in? Because mm-hmm. I'm like, if you don't, you're just going to be, you might as well talk to the wall for eight hours a day, right? Secondly, is it a funded position, right? Do you have the money to do this work? Because as you guys know, right? It takes money to do this, right? It takes money for us to be able to get this message out, to get the suppliers in, to to change, to affect the hearts and minds, right? To quote Rondu here, you know, and if you need to make sure that they have the, those two components to me are key to making a, a supplier diversity program work. But Devin, I would like to kind of go back to what you're doing on Rondu's team. And that is these economic ESG goals that that you're helping put in play and a lot of times what we hear is people understand that this is the right thing to do from an environmental sustainability green standpoint right but how do you get people to buy in on that right i mean supplier diversity is hard enough to get people to change the way they buy but how now do you kind of get them to change i'm not ethically like they're doing something wrong but in like you sometimes hear it called ethical sourcing yeah right what are yep. some of the things that you're doing to kind of help get people to to buy in that maybe are on the fence or like you know what everything's on fire i don't care yeah no it, it's a great question because we're in this hyper dynamic environment in business right now where there's all these different pushes and pulls and and different motivating factors for why people might change their behavior i mean i think some leaders and some folks in the business know that you know, if you live in the Northeast, particularly in the New York area, we haven't had measurable snow all winter. And they look at that and they scratch their head and they say, that's like the first time ever I think that's happened. And and they sit back and they say, oh, and by the way, if I have children or family or even just, you know, nieces or nephews or other young kids and, and you're handing over, you know, the keys to a new generation, you're going to say, what am I leaving them with, right? And I think a lot of people are pulled by that personally and then need the tools and the runway from what we've been obviously saying here in terms of you know leadership endorsement, bandwidth in their jobs, right? To say, look, another strategic driver is to not have sustainability, you know, and sustainable procurement and responsible sourcing be a bolt-on, but it is fundamentally integrated into what we do, whether it's, you know, product and packaging design, whether it's logistics and distribution, right? Whether uh, it's it's inherently scored in a fundamental way on RFPs and RFIs. And so, but that does take a mindset shift, right? Now, other folks who who say, "Hey, you know, personally, it does it does matter to me, but I want to get the business done." Well, we would talk about it from a couple other lenses. One thing we would say is that from a regulatory regime, we know that the major markets we play in, whether it's in the U.S. or the EU, Japan, Australia, are, are coming down the pipe with a number of ESG regulatory requirements. So, just to name a, a couple very quickly, right? In the U.S., the SEC has been debating, you know, to what level companies are going to be disclosing their emissions and and their climate change mitigation plans, right, for publicly traded companies. That will have huge implications uh, from a supply chain perspective, right? There's the EU due diligence directive, which is going to be requiring businesses in the EU to disclose how they're actively managing the risks from an environmental and social perspective in the supply chain. 
you have other, you know, modern slavery acts and the, the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, which again, all, all point to how are businesses inherently looking to mitigate, um, if not completely forestall, you know, human rights uh, abuses that occur further back in their supply chain. Because ultimately, right, they go after the big brands and the big corporates who have that visibility and who can affect that change further upstream. So regulatory and compliance pressures is, is a big lever to pull. And then the last thing I would say, right, is from a financial perspective, what we've seen time and time again is, first of all, investors are caring about this more than ever. They're knocking on our door. We're, we're getting more requests than we've ever gotten you know, internally to speak to the programs that we're building because investors care and they use it as a harbinger to the performance of the company. And we know that because there's been a number of studies that have done that have showed companies that are actively managing their ESG profile often perform better than their peers that are not. And it's not surprising, wow. right? Because if you think about it, if you're taking care of being more efficient with your resources, if you're making sure that you're not being as environmentally destructive with, with your footprint in the way that you're operating, if you're taking care of your people, if you're taking care of your suppliers, people, and back in the further in the supply chain, all that would speak to a resiliency and, and a level of performance that would far, you know, supersede, you know, the sort of business as usual way of working that could be riddled with you know, fines, penalties, um, delays, supply chain disruptions, right? There's all these different and inherent risks that, that can occur. So there's certainly a number of economic and business reasons to do it regardless. So, so for those that don't necessarily, you know, resonate with the first, like, hey, we want to leave the planet a better place for our families um, in the next generation, right? There's, there's, plenty of, there's plenty of business case to point to as well. So you have both outlined the very compelling reasons for companies to be committed to both supplier diversity and ESG. But we also know that both of those areas kind of have different histories. One, of course, supplier diversity emerging in the early 70s in the US, ESG having been kind of driven more by European companies earlier in the 21st century. And now we see that there's also very compelling reasons. It's just obvious that they should be married. What does that marriage, so to speak, look like in practice as you both collaborate on this at BMS? You know, th th there's a couple of things that we can point to. One is that the notion that everyone, regardless of your size, can play their part in ESG work. And oftentimes you find smaller companies that, that are not the scale of Fortune 100, maybe not be the, doing the manufacturing of a, of a major corporation, et cetera, feel like they, they, they don't have an, an on-ramp to do work in this space, um, whether it's to decarbon, um, you know, reduce waste, et cetera. So what we've been doing is really bringing our diverse and small businesses along the journey, offering them opportunities to learn about green energy, uh, sustainable ways of operating, ways to eliminate waste, and really closing that education gap. Um, we hosted a supplier a sustainability summit back in November of 2020, and we invited, invited some diverse and small businesses and their eyes just opened and it mobilized them in a way that when they came out of that summit, they automatically knew within their operations where they can point to for efficiencies, for reductions, how to, how to go about purchasing renewable energy to run their facilities if they're running the manufacturing facility. So really bridge that education so that we mobilize in, in, in numbers, 
the amount of individuals and corporations that are tackling the ESG framework, because obviously the more we mobilize, the more we can get after creating some great impact to, to enable the, the ESG work. Um, and we've supported a couple of programs and I'll ask Dev to jump in and talk about some of those programs because he's been very instrumental in not only developing those programs, but helping deploy them with some of our NGO partners around uh, supply diversity, right? So we banks of the world, um, et cetera. And that's why you you hear us going on doing a road show, Adam, being at D4S, being at Bank, at NMSDC, wherever they give us a stage and a platform to bring supplier diversity and ESG together, we're taking it because we want to mobilize folks to understand it's not as daunting as you think. And you can, we can meet you where you are and you can have impact. Nothing is too small to drive impact to, to save and salvage the environment. So. Uh, Dev, you want to kind of jump in on some of those programs that we're running because I think they are uh, and they should be communicated out more broadly um, because we want more participation, quite frankly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just to to um, explain one example that we did last year, we partnered with the WeBank chapters of, of the New York metro area and the D.C. metro area, and we put on a ESG 101 course and we brought in, there was 50 plus women-owned businesses who joined us in a multi-course or multi-session course of the course of a number of months last year to learn about what is ESG, you know, why does it matter? How can you start benchmarking and 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 really doing the discovery process within your own business and then getting after therefore what kind of questions? And so to the point about bringing in sourcing managers to kind of help bring to life why this would matter from a large corporate perspective to seed in a diverse business, we also partnered with a colleague of ours who sits in the indirect sourcing part of the business to come and, and lead a session specifically on what kind of characteristics would matter to them when they're running an RFP, right? And if they're going to have, uh, you know, diverse businesses bid, what matters, right, from an ESG perspective? So it was hugely enlightening for, for some of our women-owned businesses to understand that. And then, of course, you know, we did some, some core work around doing things like materiality assessments to understand what are the core issues from an environmental and social perspective that your business intersects with and, and what can you do about it? What are you willing to say, right, from a goal and target perspective? And then the that group was basically tasked to come up with a case, if you will, around what is your sustainability strategy and what are you going to get after, right? And, and I think what folks saw at the end of it was that, again, this is not just a nice-to-have activity. This is going to inherently make your business more competitive and be that much more instrumental in securing a contract with a big corporate like BMS, because we want to hear about it. It's not something that, oh, that's nice that you're doing it. Wow, that's actually making you more competitive and a more comprehensive partner to get to work with on a number of our goals. That is amazing. You know, and it's 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 so good to hear you guys talk about this. I remember, and I've said this before on the show, I remember when I was on the corporate side, probably about five years ago, sitting in, it was NMSDC, WeBank, I can't remember, but Nidra Dixon from Accenture sat down and was talking about how sustainability initiatives were starting to become the role and responsibility of the supplier diversity officers. And I remember sitting there with a bunch of my peers and we're like, well, that's an Accenture thing. It's never coming over to us. And, you know, just as I was about, as I was stepping out of corporate, lo and behold, 
we were doing sustainability. And now you guys are really showing us and kind of leading the way what that looks like in the private sector. And I just think this is an amazing, we're not mature, right? We're still working on this, but an an amazing progress of how the two marry together very well. 100%. And if you think about this, right, when Dev just mentioned, it makes them a more competitive enterprise. As our RFP and sourcing process requirements evolve and ESG becomes a scorable attribute to that that RFP or sourcing process, what we did not want to happen is that, you know, a diverse supplier is putting up donuts, right? Zero responses. And that removed them from the runnings to win an opportunity. And we want to equip them because it's not not going away. It's only getting more detailed and inherent, particularly as we hold our larger suppliers accountable. That same requirement becomes that of uh, for our small and diverse businesses, right? And I think we need to really fundamentally understand that. So now we're saying, instead of leaving it blank, let's talk about what you can or what you aspire to do to make sure that we understand that you're progressively thinking about this. But again, we really wanted to just break the barrier and the myth down. No pun intended there, Adam. But- <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Great product placement. Perfect. <laughs> but break it down and say, is not as daunting as you think because you can do something that fits within your construct of your business for the size of your business. And you can also do this, mobilize your employee base and then your supply chain as well to get after some significant reduction. So we're just trying to be a, a steward of this information to make sure that in a, from a capacity building standpoint for diverse suppliers, that we have them equipped. So so actually on, on that point, um, Adam, if I may, just to demystify a little bit more the programs that we're rolling out and, and just how we're, we're scaling it or we're tailoring it, if you will, to the size of the business that we're working with. So in our responsible sourcing program, for example, we're leveraging a, a well-known piece of tech called Equivalis. Right, number of big corporates are very familiar with this, and for the audience that that isn't aware, it's one of the largest third-party sustainability-related uh, ratings platform that measures a bunch of subjects, including you know environmental practices, human rights and labor practices, ethics practices, and sustainable procurement. However, one of the key reasons why we adopted that tool was because depending on the size of the business, the country in which it's located, the headcount associated with that enterprise it will inherently scale up or down the questionnaire for it to be a match to that business. So folks that are a a small, diverse business, as an example, are simply not going to be in scope to answer the same questions that a large manufacturer, you know, in a different country might be, right? So so just to kind of caveat, you know, one example there. The, The other, I would say, right, is a program that we've launched, or we didn't launch, but we became a part of and launched our own sponsorship as part of it, last summer is, is a program called Energize. And it is a consortium of, uh, now there's, a, I think, around 18 of us in Big Pharma that have joined together with Schneider Electric to promote the idea of getting access to free education around renewable energy procurement for our suppliers. And so that's a free opportunity at, that is open to all of our respective suppliers. And then once our suppliers go through that process and understand some of the mechanics, because it, it can be a technical, you know, a little financially um, more challenging process to get familiar with with the mechanics of buying renewable energy off the market, then the suppliers have a choice as to whether or not they actually want to proceed in a aggregated fashion to purchase renewable energy. The benefit of that is that if you are not a large corporate with a huge electrical load to go to the market by yourself to buy, 
then you have this distinct advantage to work with a, a market lead in Schneider Electric to help administer the buying process. But two, you can aggregate your electrical load with other businesses so that you have more economies of scale to buy that renewable energy. So as a company like BMS, we're trying to help facilitate deploying solutions like this to number one, get our suppliers educated for free, you know, be that as it may for folks that are in different places, just learn and understand what it takes. And then number two, for those that might have the the electrical load and the appetite to go do it, hey, here's a tool uh, that can really help accelerate and facilitate your your opportunity to get it done. So I just want to throw a couple of those examples out to say, you could be in a lot of different places, depending on the size of, of your business. And we're trying to shape you know, what we're looking from you accordingly. That's amazing. That is so useful for our listeners to hear. Isn't it? All all of this is just like, is gold for our listeners, both on the enterprise side and on the small and diverse supplier side. I'm, I'm curious to ask both of you, what you feel like doing this work in the pharmaceutical industry is showing you, are there things about this work in the pharmaceutical industry that you feel are unique um, especially thinking about just having come out of the worst part of the pandemic for the last few years and how supply chain and vaccines and just medical manufacturing have been in the news. What about your industry makes this more urgent or gives you insight that our listeners need to hear about? Just from a, a general perspective, right? Um, and, and, and that's at the core of what we do while we run into work every day. And the, the criticality is. Patients are waiting for life-saving, life-changing medicines. And any disruption to the supply chain puts it at risk, right? And we want to make sure that that is not the case. You know, during the pandemic, we were running pretty, pretty heavy to make sure that that didn't happen. And we were really showing some resiliency in our supply chain. I will say that we partnered with a lot of businesses, both large and small, to weather the storm of the pandemic with supply chain issues, whether it's PPP or other critical items to allow us to run our operations. And I will say, double click on this, some of our diverse and small businesses really came to our aid when things were scarce. And I want to give them a round of applause because they are so resourceful to go out and get things where other outlets could not, right? So again, showing the power and the resiliency and quite frankly, the connections that some of our diverse and small businesses had, right? So I think that that's one of the dynamics and the urgency. I will also say this, you know, we are in a very highly regulated. And one of the things that we are uniquely trying to, again, break down barriers on here, uh, Adam, close the knowledge gap of working in the healthcare, highly regulated healthcare space. And some things, right, you know, just from an education standpoint is very key to understand whether you're a marketing agency, you need to know the, the efficacy and modality of of some of our products to be able to articulate it, we want to close some of that gap. Um, if you're talking about some of our uh, manufacturing and, and, and you know, uh, good manufacturing processing, things like that, we want you to understand that, you know, uh, you know, Six Sigma practices, we ran a, a program in, in Puerto Rico with a dozen or so of our suppliers to make sure that they can, from a manufacturing perspective, show up at their, at their best to help our operations run more smoothly, right? So again, Anything that we can do to mobilize and, and make our supply chain more resilient, efficient, and educated, we want to do. And, and, and inherently, we want to do that with our diverse and small businesses to, again, close some of that knowledge gap that larger corporations have 
in addition to some of their, their war chest of money to go out and secure some of that, right? Just from a supply diversity standpoint, that's that's some of the urgency and, and some of the things that we're doing in our program to make sure that we are really mobilizing our resources and uh, and deploying them where they're needed. Thank you. Yeah. One thing I would say is, you know, certainly, you know, we've seen flashpoints across the U.S. and, and other countries, right, from, from a diversity and inclusion perspective that I think has, has really lit the fire uh, amongst a number of corporations to, to be an active participant, not kind of waiting on the sidelines, but but leading in front with with the complexion of their leadership, their board, pipe, talent pipelines, things like that. What I would also say is that young people more than ever are asking their companies what they're doing to actively manage their, let's call it ESG, but sustainability and diversity, quite frankly, positions. And what we're seeing is that I know there's been, you know, this term around quiet quitting that's been going around, right, for post-pandemic. But then there's also this other wave that we're starting to see called conscious quitting, where you're seeing a young generation of folks who are starting to really critically evaluate the seriousness with which their organizations are taking their futures. And are they putting quarterly profits above all else? Or are they also balancing that with a level of rigor and intentionality when it comes to the long-term you know, sustainability and health and well-being uh, of the planet and, and of the people that, that work for those organizations. And so I think that trend writ large is going to continue to shape the pressure that we're seeing the kind of the industry in, in farm and outside in general to, to bring that rigor and to bring that level of investment moving forward. And so we hope, at least within our function, right, that we can help facilitate that and digest, obviously, the level of urgency that folks have with real-time actionable tools, targets, methods, uh, so that we can bring this you know, huge, heavy subject or subjects into incremental steps of change and progress. Again, always have thought very highly of the BMS program. And I think just this highlighting of it just shows its intentionality. Right. And I think that's another thing that we talk about a lot on the show. And and that is that, you know, a, a good, healthy supplier diversity program has intentionality, has that genuine feel behind it. And I'm telling you, uh, Devin and Rhonda, you guys are really bringing it. And this is it's, it's amazing to see this marriage. I mean, I'm just kind of like awestruck listening to you guys talk about this. Sir, certainly appreciate it, Adam. And I, and I, I see this. Often I say it jokingly, but I say it sincerely. In this moment, we know that we have a lot of things to tackle in our society. And sometimes dollars and cents make a, a huge impact on that. I always say, you know, a couple of dollars in your pocket can keep you from making wrong decisions. I'm a guy that grew up in, in some undesirable uh, areas growing up, and I saw firsthand what folks with a little money in their pocket did and what others did not. And thus we start making sure we have an outlet for us all to earn a fair living wage, to support ourselves and our families, we're going to see more of that. And it's going to be a bigger challenge to, to, to right some of the ills, right? And which why I do this job at the level of intensity, intentionality, and authenticity that I do it with. Because I know that when I walked out of my, my house growing up, I saw the destruction and I'm in a position of power, influence to create change 
And I'm going to do everything I in my power to do that. And that's why I do the job. And my team will tell you, we do it with intentionality and authenticity, authenticity leading the way. But also, let me drop it down on this. We also do it with a level of accountability, because if we're not holding ourselves accountable, it's very difficult for you to save face and hold others accountable. And we want to make sure that we are doing that because, again, patients are waiting, community waiting, and we have an opportunity to do great and do good at the same time. Amazing. Amazing. You know, I used to often joke with my HR peers, you know, I'm like, you know, what you guys are doing great with your different initiatives and hiring and that type of thing, but you're affecting a family, right? You may be affecting a generation. What we're trying to do in supplier diversity is we're affecting entire communities, right? Where we're able to go in and reach an entire community. When you start looking at second and third level economic impacts. And I just love hearing that from you guys. That's amazing. Appreciate it. Happy to do the purpose work. Yeah, you know, we we've got to, you know, and and we've all got to lock arms and do it. I, this has been just an amazing interview, gentlemen, and I know I speak for Matt and Chloe. We could keep you guys on here for uh, a very long time. And you continue to talk about it. I think you guys could continue to talk about it yourselves. But you know, as we're kind of closing out today's episode, what would you guys like to talking to our small and diverse businesses who listen to our show and they're interested in in working with BMS? What should they be thinking about or doing, right, to prepare for a future where they need to be more sustainable in their own practices as as suppliers, right? I know you guys said you have some programs, but what are some things that, you know, when they they click uh, stop or and they close the window today that they can start doing right now to start to prepare for this? Yeah, it's it's a good question, Adam, right? Like, what is that practical, practical, tangible next step that, that folks can think about? Well, I would say from a sustainability perspective, if they haven't done so already, I really do think it's worth the time and investment to do a materiality assessment. And and for those that are not familiar with it, it's an exercise in going about your your most critical stakeholders, be it investors, customers, suppliers, partners, employees, and really understanding what is material to them as it relates to these core environmental and social topics. Is supplier diversity and economic empowerment at the top of the list? Is decarbonizing at the top of the list? And you kind of go from there. What that does is it starts to set the North Star around what are going to be the strategic actions that are going to come out of this as it rolls up to what our our strategic imperatives are. So I can't understate the importance of doing that first. But for those that have, right, if they're looking at that and saying, okay, environmental sustainability and and starting to do sort of double clicks into what that would look like for us, I would say there is, including, by the way, a number of small and diverse businesses who are really getting into this field to help other small and diverse businesses understand what their environmental footprint is from a from a carbon footprint perspective, and what are the actions they can start to do with it. So whether that's buying renewable energy credits off the market, you know, whether that's getting assessed with tools like Ecovadas to start to continue to benchmark your level of performance and risk. Uh, so I would say don't be shy in starting to scour the network, uh, including your fellow small and diverse businesses who have these capabilities and are eager to bring it to their peers to understand how can we get started and and what are those key first steps that we can take to understand where where we sit and, and where we can go from here. And I'll double click on, on the supply diversity part of that. I'm gonna I'm gonna continue and, and piggyback off Brother Dev here. 
He says to do a materiality assessment, which is absolutely the right thing to do. I would also offer to many uh, entrepreneurs, CEOs of, of these diverse and small businesses to, to do a self-assessment and understand whether you are now and in perpetuity want to be a lifestyle entrepreneur or a serial entrepreneur. You know, a lifestyle entrepreneur, you know, they kind of dial it in, you know, they get the boat, the cars, the house, and, and some that they feel, hey, you know, I made it. That's a measure of success. Serial entrepreneurs are continually investing in their business to be great and showing up for their clients and customers, potential or, or current. And we want to be in the in the business of supporting those serial entrepreneurs who's always going to do their homework, research. They're going to continue to innovate and bring new thoughts and ideas to us because they know our mission is to our patients. If we can fundamentally come around and rally around that, we're going to have a better relationship. You're going to be a strategic partner versus a supplier that, that can get rationalized out at any time. When you latched onto the mission and we are rolling in the right direction, beautiful things happen. So I would say do a self-assessment and really understand where you want to be because we can peep a lifestyle versus a serial entrepreneur from a mile away. And, uh, and, and, and you can imagine who goes further in our supply chain and gets meetings versus who does not. So I would offer that as well. I'm going to say that the same with supplier diversity professionals. We know the good, bad, and the ugly. Uh, our suppliers know because they're key keen in the halls talking about us. We're, we're not looking of who's about it and who's not about it. And I would offer that as well to our supply diversity professionals. Do a self-assessment. Are you getting the results? Are you building bridges and relationships internally? Are you gaining the respect of your sourcing colleagues? Are you an asset that's continually driving value and not just looking to check the number uh, and move the dollars and cents up? Because there's a lot of things that go to sustain that capacity building, uh, relationship building, et cetera, that's going to make sure that when you do those things fundamentally well, the dollars will go up. So really thinking about where you want to be as a supply diversity practitioner, because the better you are, the more you can create change and bring value to your enterprise and the community. So appreciate you, Adam. Thank you, Rondu. Thank you, Devin. I appreciate that. You, you know, it comes down to relationship, right? I say that all the time. Relationship first, dollar second. Uh, if you have the solid relationship, the dollars follow naturally. I know that's a switch for all of us who have gone through any level of business school, but I see it play out each and every day, uh, having, like I said, both been on the corporate and small business side. So, but thank you guys so much for being on the show. This was fantastic. Love the energy you guys brought. Really appreciate it. But be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn at Chloe Goodry Reed, at Adam A. Moore, at Devin Carsdale, at Ron Vincent, and at Matt Colicello. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and check out our previous show and stay tuned for next time. Thank you for listening to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. We are grateful for the time you spend with us in participating in these conversations. Please review and rate and share our show as we are focused on growing awareness in the supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity space. If you'd like more information, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E ground dot I-O. Thank you for being here and we look forward to seeing you next week.